Good evening. Tonight's New Testament reading is Hebrews 4, verses 8 through 13. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name's Glenn Hoberg. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown Church. And um, here we are gathered together on uh, historically what is called Reformation Day. And one of the great um, emphasis of the Protestant Reformation was getting the Word of God back into the hands of the people of God. And so we spend every worship service an extended time looking at the Word of God together. So let's do that. Would you pray? God, we know um, it would just be mere looking, save your Holy Spirit opening the eyes of our heart. And we trust you to do that. We praise you for doing it. Would you work now for the glory of Jesus Christ? Amen. There's a phrase we sometimes use where we talk about lived experience. You know, this is my lived experience. And when we use that phrase, what we're trying to emphasize is it's not enough just to process things in my mind or just separately from my heart, or even what I do, but all of it comes together. All of it comes together and forms lived experience, something that we can say, I know this because I've lived it. And as we're um, spending this fall time looking at experiencing the Word of God, that's a good question for you and I to ask ourselves. What is my lived experience with the Bible? In short, does it change the way I live? Um, has the Bible had an impact on how you process stress? Has it added joy to your life? Does it help you with your guilt? Does it help you with your depression? What is your lived experience with the Bible? And if you're new to the Christian faith, new to the Bible, uh, this is a great uh, way to sort of come in and be seeking. From beginning knowing that, oh, 
the Christian faith teaches an experience with the Word of God. Now, all those things I mentioned, is that your lived experience? One of the key lived experiences that the Word of God is to bring to us, we've been singing about it the whole time, is rest. Rest. Jesus said, come, all you are heavy laden, and I will bring you rest. All throughout Scripture we talk about rest. The passage talked about rest. It talked about Israel wandering in the desert, waiting to get into the promised land, and even capital R, rest, looking ahead to that idea, idea when God will bring rest to those that love him on the new heavens and new earth. But, while we live in the in-betweens, what does rest look like? Now, of course, it's not complete in final rest, right? I, I heard of this uh, exercise class I go to, um, and the, the coach used a phrase I'd never heard before. I thought, that's a pretty good word. And she said, all right, now I want you to enter into rest-or-size. <laughs> now, for those of you that are sort of familiar with the idea, right, it's like you don't stop running, you just go into kind of a recovery pace. Or you don't stop rowing, you go into recovery mode. Well, you know, in this life, we're in rest mode. We taste rest, we get a taste of rest, but we're not at the final rest. But what's surprising about this passage, we, we normally look at the first part of it and then isolate the part on God's word. But have you ever thought that what is key to you experiencing more rest in your life is corrective word from God. That a word of correction from God could actually be the way that you and I enter in to the experience of rest, because that was the thought process of the passage we just read. And so, longing for that rest, hungry for that rest, let's look at two things together. The need for a corrective word from God and how we respond to a corrected word. What does that look like? So first of all, the need for a corrective word from God. This past week I came across uh, an article as I was researching, thinking about things, and they were pictures of kids that have fallen asleep in funny places. And, you know, adults had you know, taken these pictures and put them on the Internet. I, they'll have to deal with that accountability later. I don't want to say adults, those loving adults, hopefully. But one was a picture of a kid asleep in a laundry basket. Uh, and the other, uh, another one was a kid asleep on the welcome mat going into the house. You could just imagine that, right? It's, they're so tired, and the, parent, the family's taking so long to get out. They just can't. They just fall asleep right in the welcome mat. Another was a kid that fell asleep in the middle of the stairs, going upstairs, right? Uh, our desire for relief and rest can be so strong, we'll, we'll hunker down in unwise places, sometimes unsafe places, right? Dangerous places. And the congregation to whom the writer or pastor of Hebrews was writing knew that about his people. I mean, this is their Delta version of persecution. Second round. 
They had already gone through persecution, loss of possessions, interrogation, rejection by people they trusted, even violence. And just when they thought, we're over it, rest is coming, it comes back around again. We can have some understanding of that, right? Some. Maybe it's not persecution, but certainly it's trial. The second round. And just like many in Israel who were tempted in the desert, the writer knows that his congregation is tempted to find rest in spiritual mirages. You know, a mirage, how does a mirage, you know, form? It's when the ground is hot and the air above it is cool. And the way they interact together results in this imagination that there's water there. Well, you know, when the trials of life are hot and your faith is cool, you'll begin to imagine places of rest. You know, places of desire that you could go to, to escape. You know, maybe it's something like just a new city. I need rest. I just need to get out of here. I'll find rest. Maybe it's I need to get into a relationship. That'll bring me rest. Maybe it's I just need to lose myself in hours and hours of, you know, binging Netflix. Or it may even be things that you knew in your right mind were bondage, that were bad for you. I mean, Israel gets to the point in the desert where they actually believe bonded slavery, brutal slavery, would be better than this. When they say, let us go back to Egypt, at least we were fed there. The desire for rest, the hunger for relief that you and I have is so great we can find ourselves inching back into those things that would actually bind us and dehumanize us. But there's something that can help us to overcome it. And it's the corrective word of God. There must be something strong, something powerful that can enter into the inner inner parts of the being, the inner man, the inner woman. It has to be something that can go into the recesses, into the dark caves of our desires with that ability to find us in that place. And that's what we're told, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, one side of that is unnerving, right? It's uncomfortable. It's troubling. And the day of judgment is very much this trouble, this experience. This idea that all of us will give account. But those who have found shelter in God's grace through his provision, through his very own self, his son, Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear that. One of the church fathers, Ambrose, said this, God, who is the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, he's talking about this verse, that God says, Adam, where are you? He's referring to the first man and woman, right? Adam and Eve, 
They sin against God, they run and hide, but why does God go to find them? Why does he say, where are you? So he can clothe them. And so those that know this God in his heart, he comes with the corrective word deep in those places that you and I are afraid for anybody else to know, anybody else to see, those thoughts and desires. He goes into that place that he might say, where are you? And to clothe you. And the grace of his son. Elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, word typically means message of salvation. But here it has a different translation. It actually means the personal utterance of God. One theologian's put it this way. Uh, it's conveying the word of God acts as God himself. The word of God acts as God himself. And so if you want God to come near to you, the word must be near to you. And he wants to come to your, he wants to come to us through his word. And as he comes, he's able to pierce and divide the sin that has attached and has fixed itself to us. I was thinking today, uh, you know, as I was pondering this about um, the boy Eustace in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis. I just talked to someone before the service, and they said, I'm making time to read those right now. I said, I'm going to mention that. Um, but in the voyage of the Don Treader, if you've ever read them, uh, the Don Treader ends up on this island, and uh, Eustace wanders off because he doesn't want to work. He kind of gets lost. But he finds he is lost. And eventually he finds himself uh, before a dying dragon, dragon's old and just dies right before him. And he makes his way into the dragon's cave. And uh, there's all this treasure. He didn't know dragons had a bunch of treasure. And he begins to imagine, man, with this treasure, my life could be good. He puts a gold ring on himself. He fills his pockets with gold, but then he gets tired. He falls asleep. And he wakes up. And all of a sudden he realizes, man, my skin's a little thick. He's become a dragon. His dark desire turned him in to that very thing. And no matter how hard he tries to get off those scales, he can't. Until finally Aslan, the great king, really the Christ figure through all of those things, come and says, follow me. And the only way that skin can come off is if Aslan comes in there dividing joint and marrow with his claws, peeling off the skin. And Eustace is recounting this, and he says, The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. And then he threw me into the water and it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And I saw why I turned into a boy again. God has a vision of you that you couldn't imagine. 
there's not a higher view of human beings on the planet than the one presented in the Christian faith. Made after the image and likeness of God, crowned with his glory. He has this vision of you and I. Sin dragonizes it. And no matter how we might try, you might even try to use God's word to peel it off. But it doesn't work that way. God himself is the only one that can wield it in the right way, in a gracious way, but, you know, in a precise way. He wants to get into that dark place of our desires with his word so he can make you into a boy again, a girl again, his image again. To be renewed in true righteousness and holiness. So we can pray like David, search me and know me. I'm not afraid. Bring your word. Uh, Rob's prayer was just so, I, I just was so blessed by that prayer. It is scary to say, what do you have for me today? But the Lord, right? The Lord loves He's near to his people. Think about Jesus Christ's word that came in the flesh. In the piercing words he came in the way they liberated. He said, he said a dividing, piercing, sword-edge word to a woman at a well. He said another word like that to Peter. He said another word like that to the Apostle Paul. Why? So they could know life. But let's get quickly to these, this last point. Not just the need for a corrective word, but responding to it. First of all, we need to think about from, from whom we receive the word. Now, one of the things you see in the ministry of Jesus Christ is Jesus, again, the word made flesh. He comes to his own. That's what John tells us. He comes to his own. He comes to the religious leaders and his own people, and they won't receive his word. They hate his word. It threatens the, the, the vision they have of the life that they had built for themselves. The perspective of the, their culture, their beliefs, their practices... And the funny thing about that is it wasn't like Jesus was calling them to act like Gentiles. It wasn't like he was bringing, in a sense, a, a new cultural situation that would have made people just go, you know, this is too much. But it was the way they couldn't accept the word from where it was coming. From where it was coming. And, you know, Christian folk can do this too. We can create a vision of what the Christian life should be, of what the church should look like, of what my life should, what society, what the city should look like, what the country ought to look like, whatever it be. We create that in our minds. And so if a word comes that from outside of that, it's almost like we can build a shield, a shield from hearing a corrective word, even when it's from our own. In the uh, book of Ephesians, Ephesus 
was a city not too different than us, even though Corinth I tend to think about more like Washington, D.C. But Ephesus was urban. It was racially and ethnically diverse. It was culturally diverse. It was politically diverse. And that's who the church, that's who's in the church. You got all these people, right? Now they share, they believe the Messiah has come in Jesus Christ. You know, that's the funny thing about it. We, we spend a lifetime needing to know this, right? When, when you get into the Christian faith, whether you've been grown up in it or you come into it, yes, there's these things that all Christians agree on centering around Jesus Christ. But there's a whole lot of other stuff you and I believe and practice that doesn't have anything to do with that. Some of it's just because, you know, we're people that live in culture and life, and that's not bad. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's basically saying to this very diverse church community, I want you to receive the word from someone not like you, and I want you to submit to it out of reverence for Christ. This is one of the things that we must do to experience the Word of God. I need to be willing to receive the Word of God from someone who doesn't share my uh, racial background, my cult, maybe it's my geography, maybe it's my socioeconomic class, maybe it's my political persuasion, whatever it would be. The question is, am I slow to receive the word from them? I won't hear it. One of the ways I think that helps us is we need to begin to uh, listen, even on this Reformation Day. And I told you, I was someone, I've said this a couple times, When I came into what was called the Reformed faith, man, I was just like, get out of my way. Get out of my way. And uh, but one of the upshots of that is, you know, I would pick up Christian books, look at them, and I would just look at the publisher. You were the publisher. I was. If it wasn't a Reformed publisher, you had nothing to say to me. Well, what is that for you? Can we, we probably are most apt to receive a corrective word from God if it's coming from outside of our tribe. Not all the time, but certainly, remember, Christ's church is historic and global, right? All right, not only from whom we receive the word, but where we locate the word. The emphasis here says heart, but you know, heart isn't just sort of like this squishy romance thing. In the Bible, uh, heart is a command center. It's control center. It's decision-making center. It's sort of like the infl- you got the, you got the mind and the heart and the will, but it's all kind of coursing through that headquarters. In hardness of heart in the book of Hebrews, isn't just kind of like I woke up one day and I just didn't buy any of the stuff anymore, I didn't believe it anymore, or I just, you know, I'm just having a bad day. It isn't that. Hardness of heart is intelligent, planned unbelief. Now here's the, the tricky thing about that. That is, uh, 
you know, when someone walks away from their faith or the Word of God, it comes as a shock many times. And it's sort of like, well, what happened? And it's just like, whoa, and does, what, could that happen to me? But, you know, when you go to see a show, there's what you're seeing, and then there's a curtain, and then there's lots of stuff happening behind the curtain to present the visual. And every one of us, we've got that behind the curtain. Right? Thoughts, daydreams, desires. And so, the Word of God, if it's located out in the seats, or even on the stage, it's really not penetrating. It has to get into the decision-making part of our will, but is informed by all those other things behind the curtain. That's where we have to allow the Word of God to come and do its work with us. That's where it's to be located. Jesus said that. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that the destination of the law of God was always the heart. That's why the last commandment is about the heart, envy. And as we do that, we find that God brings a word of grace to our heart. The closest place. I, I, there, there's a time where uh, in Deuteronomy it says the word is near. You know, it, it, God says, listen, you don't have to climb up to heaven. You don't have to go to the depths of the earth. The word is near. It's in your mouth. You can confess it. You can believe it. It's in your heart. God comes so close to us. He gives us his spirit. But lastly, how do we know we're responding to the corrective word? I said, one, because we're willing to receive it outside of just our little circle. Two, we're locating it behind the curtain in our heart. But three, how we evaluate it. Now, the, the Greek word for obedience is actually an intensified form of the verb to hear. And so, uh, there was no way to really separate. You know, uh, obedience was just hearing brought to its fulfillment. And I think that helps us, because I, I don't know if you've ever thought this. You know, I, I, have, I know this in my head. I know it in my head, but I just, you know, I got this head knowledge, but I just haven't worked it. And I, you know what the problem with that is? We convince ourselves we know it in our head. But the Bible would actually say this. One of the ways you evaluate whether or not you really know something is whether you obey. Whether you actually activate it. And so, the way we evaluate whether I'm responding to the corrective word of God isn't, yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, or I know I should do that. We need to stop saying that to ourselves. When you can say you know is when it's actually activated in your life. And you could say, I, I know this. It's lived understanding. As Jesus said, it's those who hear and obey that will be blessed. So, everybody here, including me, uh, is hungry for rest. So hungry for rest, right? Rest from so many things in our lives. Anxiety our sin, envy, 
longings, heartaches, all these different things. Um, and yet we also know we're in restercise mode, right? But in that, God means to give us rest if we'll let this word get in and do its work. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that it is a word that can get past all our shields and all our defense mechanisms. And when you get in there, you speak a word of mercy and grace. Lord, just as the very next verse of this passage talks about a high and sympathetic priest, Christ, we thank you that he finds us in that place. In Christ's name, amen.